Mark 12, 41 through 44 is where we're going to be. It's a joy to be with you again. I missed you very much. This is what it says. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offerings box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of God. You can be seated. I've titled the message this morning, How Do You Give Everything? How do you give everything? We see the widow as done here. Among the people that you know, who would you most gladly make sacrifices for? For whom would you gladly run to that secret drawer, that secret place in your home and pull out all that cash and give it to? For whom would you gladly go to the reserve bank account and empty it and give all that away to help that person? Who would you gladly give up vacation time for? And since we're in the Mecca for college football, who would you gladly miss the big game for? I remember when we were talking about when our wedding day was going to be, someone said to us, but there's a game that day. And we said, wow. You know, we were thinking in our heads, I guess we'll find out who you love more. (laughs) Um, But which people in your life would you go for broke when it comes to helping those people? Isn't the answer to that question this? Well, of course, it's the people in my life who I'm the closest to. It's the people in my life who I love the most. Isn't that the answer to that question? Aren't we more willing to sacrifice for the people that we love the most? Well, of course, the answer is yes, because when it comes to those people, it doesn't really feel like a sacrifice. It feels more like loving service. When it's done for people that we really love, it's done with a joyful and willing heart. We used to go to church with a family, and the daughter had a lot of physical problems, which led to her having kidney failure. Well, her father willingly gladly gave her a kidney. I can imagine there was no struggle when he was thinking, should I, should I give her one of my kidneys? It didn't feel like a sacrifice to him. It felt like a willing, loving service. Why? Because he loves his daughter more than almost anyone else on planet Earth, right? Had he heard a commercial about some other child in Africa, let's say, that he's never seen, that he doesn't know, has no connection to, he probably wouldn't call the organization and say, I have a kidney. But his daughter, yes, because he loves her so much. 
We make willing, joyful sacrifices for those we find most dear, most cherished, most cherished, and most loved. I'm driving this point home because um, I don't just want to focus on what the widow did, but how she was able to do it. We'll talk about the second ingredient that's also needed towards living a life like that, towards being able to do what she did. We'll talk about that later on in the sermon. But before I go any further, of course, let's pray and ask God's help during our time. Father, I need your help to preach this rightly. We all need your help to have the hearts and have our hearts in our right place to be able to receive this word rightly. Father, we know, according to the parable of the sower and the seeds, we know that it is possible for the same truth to fall on different soils. The same truth that produced a full crop on one soil either did nothing on one was choked out on another, was scorched by another. So, Father, I pray that you would please, I pray that you would have already been, in anticipation of this prayer that I'm praying now, I pray that you would have already been, even this morning, last week, right now, have been preparing our hearts to hear this word this morning. Please, Father, cause it to make a change in us, cause us to be more like Jesus, It's in his name I pray. Amen. What we have in this section of Scripture, really, is an observation on Jesus' part. You probably picked up on that. He then uses that observation as a teaching point for the twelve, the disciples. This moment then gets immortalized in sacred Scripture and then becomes a teaching point for all mankind. So, four things. This is the flow of how I'm going to handle this. Number one, we're going to talk about the history behind what's happening here with this offering box. Number two, I want to talk about observations. I want to make a lot of observations from our text, essentially talk about what's there. Number three... I want us to notice what's not mentioned in the text. So essentially, what's not there. And then lastly, application. So history, what's there, what's not there, and then application. That's the flow. That's that's how we're going to handle this. Notice in verse 41, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Now Mark, of course, doesn't tell us how this offering box got there, what is this offering box, because an offering box was not a part of how the Lord told the people of Israel to to build the temple, to build the tabernacle even. He didn't say, oh, and don't forget the offering box. Where did this come from then? Why is this here? How did it get here? 2 Kings 12 gives us the answer for that. Uh, This practice of putting money into an offering box in the temple probably started here. 2 Kings 12 Let me explain the context of that. So in 2 Kings 12, we have a king named King Jehoash. He was one of the rare good kings. He was pretty good. He wasn't the best, but he was pretty good. He wanted to see the temple restored, helped. So he had a priest that was working with him at that time. King, I mean, priest Jehoiada. 
what was going on was the people would actually come and they would give money to the Levites, the Levites, as, a, as, as an offering. They lived on those offerings, but then they were also supposed to use some of those offerings to help restore the temple, repair it, keep it up. Well, much time had passed since he started ruling as king, and he noticed that's not happening. This looks the same or worse than when I started king, my kingship here. So Jehoiada, the priest, made a box, bored a hole in the top, sat it to the right of the altar, which was, you had to walk past it to go towards the temple, and that's the birthplace of this offering box. It was made so that people put money in there for the upkeep of the temple. And apparently, because as you know, the temple during the time of the kings, that one was destroyed, and then rebuilt later on, and by Jesus' time was much larger. So apparently, the offering box got reinstated. So that's the, that's the history of why this is even here. It was for the restoration. It was for the repair of the temple. And it was just, it was an offering. It wasn't part of your tithes. It was just, let's give to keep this holy place built because it's special to us. And that's, that's why it was there. I want you to notice, though, that as Jesus is observing this happening, there's extremes. There's each side of the spectrum of people here. Look at this. So there are multiple extremes. Um, you've got the rich and you've got a poor woman. So therefore, you've got the uppermost in society and the lowest in society. You've got people giving much and you've got someone giving very little. The extremes here are on purpose. Jesus uses this because it's a very clear teaching moment. Many rich people were, were told at the end of verse 41, put in large sums, a lot of money. Verse 42, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. If you want to know how little this was that she actually put in, these two small copper coins, they made up their value made up one sixty-fourth of a denarius, which was a day's wage. So one sixty-fourth of what you need to live on in one day. That's what she put in. A very, very small amount of money. Let's face it. It was, it was almost nothing what she put in. I mean, think about, think about how much money you need to live in one day. Well, don't even think about how much you need to live in one day. We're, we're, we're not the norm, okay? You need, to, you need to know that. Here in America, we're not average. If you look at all the world, okay, you're above average. Even if you're living paycheck to paycheck right now, you're above average. So let's, let's, let's back off a little bit. The average person, okay, think of, I don't know, a middle-aged woman living somewhere in Central or South America, okay? That's, that's a little more average for the, for the world. Okay, think about how much she needs to live on in one day, much less than what you need, okay? 
I'll, I'll tell you that right now. Think of one sixty-fourth of that amount. That's how much she put in. Okay. Very, very small amount of money was given here. All right. Some might say it was hardly worth giving at all. We learn in the next verse, however, that the Lord is able to weigh the true value of an offering. Verse 43, he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Jesus began his teaching by saying the word truly. Do you see that? Did you know in the original language, it's the word amen or amen. Sometimes Jesus says, amen, I say to you. Sometimes he says it twice, amen, amen, I say to you. That's why some translations say, truly, truly. So the old King James said, verily, verily. Remember that? It's the word amen. As you know, that word can mean, may it be so. It can mean, it's so. It can mean, it's true. That's why sometimes if someone's preaching and someone says, amen, he's saying, that's true. When I was preaching in a village when we were missionaries, and it was a Spanish-speaking village. Sometimes there was this gentleman out in the audience that would say, I see yes. That means, that's right, or it's so. That's what that means. Sometimes they would just say, amen, because amen is the same in a lot of languages. And so Jesus begins by saying, amen, I say to you. In other words, he's basically saying this. I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. That's a good paraphrase right there. Why did Jesus do this? Why did he start with saying, Amen? Well, just to add emphasis to what he's saying. He's adding emphasis. Did you also notice in this text that Jesus compared her small offering with all the others? That's the words he uses there in that verse. She put in more than all the others. He's not just saying she put in more than the person that just came right before her. You know, as they've been sitting there, and who knows how long they'd been sitting at that spot in the temple or in the outer area of the temple. Who knows how long they've been sitting there? Maybe five minutes? Maybe 30? Maybe an hour? We don't know. But Jesus says, all that you've seen people put in so far, all of it, she put in more than everyone. Jesus doesn't waste his words. Every word in scripture is important. That's why we can do these things with this text. That's why I walk through a text line by line, because every one of these words is important and good for us. This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing, even though her offering was so small in man's eyes. Like I said, hardly even worth giving. It was large in God's eyes. God is able to see the amount of the sacrifice behind the amount of the sacrifice. 
Jesus is able to see the real weight of an offering that's behind the weight of the offering. We know full well that for someone to put $100 into the offering plate is not, not much. For others, it's quite a lot. On a physical level that day, it was observable how much each person was putting in. Somehow, it was observable. The way Jesus invited his disciples to take note of what was going on, take note of what's given, implies that they could observe the difference in the size of gifts. Think about it. He wouldn't tell them, he wouldn't tell them, look Look at what she gave in comparison to what they gave if they couldn't actually see what she was giving and what they were giving. Now, we know that for us and how we've set up our giving, we can do it privately. It's secret. You can put money in an envelope. You can write a check and fold it in half and fold it in half again. No one gets to see the amount. You can give online, which is even more private, right? It wasn't, it wasn't that way here at the offering box in the temple. In my studies, I've, I've learned that these offering boxes sometimes had large chauffeur horns attached to the top. This large metal chauffeur horn came out and that's how you put your money into the offering box. It had to physically slide down this metal horn to get into the bored out hole in the top of the offering box. Well, now you know what that means. If you're giving coins, which that's, that was their money back then. They didn't have Caesar printed on a, a paper bill like we have our president's. They had coins. And so obviously the more coins that slid down this metal opening made more of a sound. And the fewer coins that slid down this metal chauffeur horn made a smaller sound. So Jesus invites them to observe not just something that they could see, but more than likely that they could hear. You could tell the offering sizes easily. But then Jesus tells them something that he sees. He tells them something that he sees that they can't see. And what is that? The actual weight and the actual value of every offering that's going in. Jesus can actually see what's behind every gift. How much of a sacrifice it really was. This is what's true. This is why Jesus starts with amen. This is the amen of Jesus' lesson. The widow put in more than all the others. That's what was true that day. I tell you the truth, he said. She put in more than all of them combined. And then he tells us why in verse 44. Had Jesus just stopped there, the disciples would not have known why that's true. But he tells them why it's true. 
Jesus follows up by telling them why. Verse 44, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The Lord measures the weight of our sacrifices, not the weight of our offering. Let me say that again. The Lord measures the weight of our sacrifices, not the weight of our offerings. The others gave out of what, of what they could spare. The others gave out of what they could spare. Likely, you came in a vehicle this morning that's got a spare tire. What does that mean? It means, as of right now, your vehicle doesn't need that tire. It's there just in case you need it, but you don't need it. There may be a time where you, you, you actually never need it, but it's a spare. It's extra, right? That's what it means to have an abundance. You have more than what you need. And they gave out of their abundance. There was a certain, there is a certain amount that we need to live on. And then there's the extra. It's less of a sacrifice when you give out of your abundance because you're not dipping into what you need. Most of us live like this. We have this money that we need to live on. We've got to have this. And then we have this that's extra. Maybe you call it savings, whatever. They, in giving their offerings, they were dipping out of this money. They weren't dipping out of this money. They weren't touching what they needed. They were just saying, we'll give out of what we don't even need. So Jesus is saying that their gifts were given from the funds that they didn't even need to live on. Therefore, for them, it really wasn't much of a sacrifice. It really wasn't any sacrifice, really, because they didn't even need it. Then Jesus purposefully, I don't know if you picked up on this, purposefully uses many words to show how this widow is in an extreme contrast to these people. He uses, more word than he, he uses more words than he even needs to use to get his point across. First, he tells us that she doesn't give out of her abundance because she had none. She gives out of her poverty. He says that. She gives out of her poverty. They were giving out of an abundance. She was giving out of little. Like this pot over here, which is money that you need to live on, that's what she was scooping out of. Next, she not only gives out of her poverty, Jesus says she put in, quote, everything she had. He's not done. Lastly, just in case the disciples misunderstood what he meant, he makes sure they grasped the extremity of her offering by also saying that it was, quote, all she had to live on. So he just labors this. She gave out of her poverty everything she had, and then maybe looks them in the eyes and says, all she had to live on. Do you understand what I'm saying, 12? He didn't have to keep, he, he, he put three layers on this to make sure that they got it. The rich 
aren't even touching their money they need to live on. They're giving from the spare money. She's not only giving out of the money she needs to live on, she's giving all the money she needs to live on. Also, take note of this. Did you take note of this? How many coins did she give? She gave two coins. Two. You know what that means? She could have given one and still given half of her net worth. Like if any of you came to me and said, we gave, and you wouldn't say this to me, but let's just, I could read your mind somehow. And I just learned that Brandy Mills, because I can read her mind, let's just say, gave half her net worth away. I would say, wow. Actually, wow, wow, wow. Three wows. That's, an, that's amazing. Half your net worth? She could have given one coin, one, and given 50% of all that she has to live on. She gave all of it. She had the choice of giving just one, and she gave both. She gave it all, 100% of what she needed to live on. I said at the beginning that we not only observe what's here in the text, I said we, all, we would also observe what's not here. Remember that? There's no command here that says Christians should do this. There's not. Jesus didn't then turn to the 12, or especially to Judas, who we know from the book of John, who was the holder of the money bag. He didn't then turn to Judas and say, therefore, go pour in everything that we have. He didn't say that. Do I believe that there are, actually, I don't even have to believe this, are there commands in the scriptures that say we should give? Yes. Who set that up? God set that up. That's, that, that's God that's given us that command to give. Do I believe that a true believer will want to tithe and give? For sure. Do I know that giving is a good test as to whether or not the Lord truly has authority in someone's life. Absolutely. It's a very good test whether or not the Lord's actually someone's, whether or not the Lord has authority in someone's life. Jesus even assumes that we will give. When he says, when you give, do this. He doesn't say if, he says when. It's just assumed. But we have to see that this is a teaching from Jesus from an observation of a widow's giving. Jesus is showing them who actually gives the most. It's the one who makes the biggest sacrifice. That's the point he's trying to make by pointing this out. He's not saying, therefore, every time you get money, you give it away every single time. No, of course not. That would contradict a lot of what we see in the Proverbs. That says we should be wise with our money. We should save it, not spend it frivolously and things like that. And use it for the building up of the, of the others. And giving to the poor. How can we give to the poor if we never have anything to give, right? So as far as the application. In my introduction, I asked you this. Aren't you more willing to sacrifice the most for the people that you love the most. 
Well, of course the answer is yes, because then it doesn't even really feel like a sacrifice. It feels more like loving service done from a joyful and willing heart. We make willing and joyful sacrifices for those whom we find most dear, those whom we cherish the most, those whom we love the most. We'll gladly do that. A stranger could come up and ask you for $10, and you might say, no, no thanks. I mean, are you hungry, or what's going on? No, I just, just want the money. You'd say, no. And then I could come to you and say, listen, I really need $10 if you don't mind. And you'd probably say, yes, Cohen, absolutely, whatever. Why? Well, you love me. I hope. You love me more than you love the stranger, right? You don't know him. But you know me, and you love me. You'd be willing to give it to me. In our lives, we show how dear, how deep, how real our love for God is by how we not only sacrificially give for the building up of his kingdom, for the helping of the poor, whatever he leads us to do, but we also show how much we love him, how deep that is and how real that is, by how we also sacrificially live for him. Not just sacrificially give, but sacrificially live, right? All of our actions of obedience, but especially those acts of obedience that cost us something, show how much we love the Lord. And that can be money, it can be resources, it can be time. On the outside, those acts that are observable um, are going to look perhaps like more or less based on someone who's looking on to those acts, right? But I said to you earlier, Jesus is able to see what's truly behind your sacrifice. Jesus is able to see what's truly behind your obedience. He's able to weigh it and determine its true value to see just how much of a real sacrifice of love it really is. But concerning the widow, I have this question, and has this question crossed your mind? Because it crossed my mind. How does someone even get to the point where he or she is even able to make a sacrifice like that. She was a widow, so she had no regular source of income, had very little protection as well, probably because in that day, a lot of women just weren't even raised to read or write. The men got sent to Torah school. She's more than likely a Jew. So she's already a widow, doesn't have much of a way to help herself at all. So she's poor, has no promise of even tomorrow's food, much less this day's, and yet she gave everything away that she had. Jesus said it was all she had to live on. How do you even get that way? Did you think about that? How was she, where did she come from? Like, where does a person like that, with thinking like that, with a heart like that, how do you do that? How do you get that way? Don't you want to be that way? You might be thinking, I don't want to give away all my money. I'm not, what I'm saying is, how can you get to the point where you're okay with that? 
We, wow. Because most of us, most of us have a hard time giving. You know why? Because we say, but what if I give it away and then I don't have what I need, right? It shows two things. We've already talked about love here. That's the first answer. How do you, how do you get this way? Well, it's easy when you love someone that much. It's easy to give when you love someone that much. But the second thing is this, you also have to trust. There's love, yes, but then there's also trust involved, great trust involved. I doubt she was like, here they go, zing, the first one, zing, the second one. I'm just going to go home and die now. No, she was trusting she was going to get her needs met some other way. She would have had to have. Now, let me tell, also tell you another way that makes it easy for you to give. It makes it easy for you to be like her. Number one is love. It's easy to give sacrificially to someone you love, to the Lord, to his service, because you love him so much. But it also makes it easy, too, when you trust that he's going to meet your needs. If you had three sandwiches, and that was all the food for today, you've got a breakfast sandwich, a lunch sandwich, and a supper sandwich. Those are the, those are the three you're going to be a little hungry because most of us need more than a sandwich. But at least you're going to live today, right? You can survive on that. You can live that way. And what if I said to you, listen, this is in the morning. You haven't had your first sandwich yet. You've just got your three sandwiches there. And I say, someone's going to come knock on your door in 15 minutes. He's going to ask you for food. Okay? I want you to turn around, go into the kitchen, put all three of those sandwiches in nice Ziploc bags, put those in a, a bag, and give those to him. I want you to give him all three of your sandwiches. Because five minutes after he leaves, someone else is going to pull up, and he's going to give you three sandwiches. Would it be easier for you to give your sandwiches away? Well, yeah, you'd be like, okay. So I'm going to give three, three away, and I'm going to get three more. Oh, okay, I'll give, them, I'll give them three. No, Are you sure the guy's coming after him, though? The five minutes, you said five minutes, right? After him? You're, you're sure that dude's coming. I promise you, he's coming. I promise. Look in my eyes. I promise. You'd say, okay. I know you. I believe you. I'll do it it'd be easier to give them away. Your level of sacrifice shows your level of trust as well, doesn't it? Not only shows your level of love for the Lord, shows your level of trust for the Lord. Some of us have a hard time giving because we say, but what if I don't then have enough for myself? But if you trust that the Lord will make sure that you have enough for yourself, then it's easier to give. In the hypothetical situation that I just made up, I promised that person that the other guy is coming in five minutes. Has the Lord given us any promises that he would meet our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? Has he promised us that? He sure has. And the last I checked, he's a promise keeper. Actually, he loves to flex his muscles, in a, and I'm saying that in a very reverent way, by keeping his promises. He really does. 
It's easier to sacrifice when you know that if you do, you'll still have your needs met. It's easier to dip in those vital resources. It's easier to dip into your invaluable time. It's easier to dip into your vacation days when you know the Lord will take care of you no matter what. Having a great love for God and having a great trust in God are the means to sacrificially giving and sacrificially living. <clears throat> the Shema from Deuteronomy starts with, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love with all your heart. And then you know the very popular proverb that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding, right? So we're told in the Shema, love God with all your heart. And the proverb says, trust God with all your heart. Both of them say, do it with all your heart. And these are the two things that I just told you are the key to living sacrificially. Love, trust. Isn't it interesting that we get two different commands? Love God with all your heart. Trust God with all your heart. You know why we have both of those? Because we need both of those to live a Christian life that's a real Christian life that looks like a real Christian life that looks like Christ. It's interesting that the Holy Scriptures make a point to tell you to both love God with all your heart and trust God with all your heart. This is my last page of notes. It's the home stretch. You have to have both loving God and trusting God. So how do we do that? You say, Cohen, I need that. Okay, I'm convinced. I'm sold. You've pitched it to me. I'm sold, Cohen. I, I, okay. Love God with all my heart. Trust him. Those are the two things I need. Now my next question, Cohen, is, well, how do I get them? How do I get that love with all the heart? How do I get that trust with all the heart? Where does that come from? I'll tell you this, in and of your own strength is not possible. So I'm not going to tell you, well, if you'll just do this harder and better and come on, you look at the rest of us, we're pulling our weight. No, no. In and of your own strength it's not possible. It's a work done by the Lord himself and it begins at salvation. It begins at salvation. Listen to Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Listen to Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, well, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. This, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
Do you see where this heart comes from? It's a work of the Lord. It begins at salvation. He says, I will cause you to walk in my ways. I will do this. I will do it. He just hammers that again and again and again. Where does this come from? This great love and this great trust? It comes from the Lord. It begins at salvation. begins there. Then, yes, we feed it. We do those things that cause us to grow. Just like if you want to grow in strength, you eat good food. You get stronger. There's no athlete on planet Earth that doesn't eat enough and that eats only barely enough to stay alive. No, he or she takes in a lot of good, wholesome food to get bigger, stronger muscles, to perform better, right? That's what we also have to do with the Word of God. We take in the good stuff, and we take a lot of it. You know what's great about this food? You don't get overweight when you eat too much of this food. (laughs) You just get stronger. And Jesus said, well, the Lord rather said through Jeremiah that this is all a part of the new covenant. Did you pick up on that? That's why at the Last Supper, Jesus refers to the cup as the new covenant in his blood. Listen to Luke 22, 20. And likewise, he took the cup, and after they had eaten, said, this cup that's poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We have to believe and know that the Lord Jesus, the only one who's ever perfectly loved and trusted God, with all of his heart. We have to believe and know that he died to take the punishment for our sins. He died to take up and make up for all of our shortcomings. He died to drink deeply that full wrath of the God of God that should have fallen on us. When we are in him, we are clothed in his righteousness and he helps us walk righteously. If you're in Christ, this is how this is possible. Only through Christ. A heart that's been transformed by Christ and because of Christ, that's the kind of heart that loves God enough and trusts God enough to sacrifice everything for him. Let me say that again. The heart that's been transformed by Christ and because of Christ, that's the kind of heart that loves God enough and trusts God enough to sacrifice everything for him. But our greatest, our greatest example of a heart that loved God enough and sacrificed, I mean, entrusted God enough to sacrifice everything for him, actually, everything for us, that's Jesus Christ. He loved the Father enough and trusted the Father enough to walk in obedience to that command to sacrifice everything, to sacrifice all not just some, not just one part of it, all of it, all his life, he sacrificed it all for us. Amen. May God add the blessing, the truth of this sermon to our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would please Help us to apply these eternal truths to our hearts. Father, we pray that you would be doing the work within us now to cause us to love you more, to cause us to trust you more. And I pray that as we read your word and see how lovely you are and how trustworthy you are, that you will help us, Lord, to live lives like this 
that we'd be willing to give everything, not just our money, but willing to give all of our obedience, all of our affections, all to you, Lord. We love you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.